welcome to season three of the Lifestyle Chase, and I'm your host, Chris Little. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. To help this podcast grow, please share it on social media, rate five stars, tell your friends, and check out the past 140 episodes and counting. You can follow me on Instagram at Christian Little and at The Lifestyle Chase. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. All right, so welcome to The Lifestyle Chase. This is another day when I'm interviewing two people on the same day. It is episode 182, and I am proud to bring you the one and only Coach Pow, a man of many names, of which I will let him um, represent himself in the best way that he can. So how are you doing today? Well, how are you? I'm excellent. Um, yeah. So, like, where did Coach Pow come from? Like, I... I have some backstory on a lot of things, but I'm first of all curious about the whole Coach Pow. Like, how did that come to be? Uh, so, Coach Pow. Pow was a nickname given to me by a good friend of mine. And, you know, we used to go to the gym together. And he would see me, excuse me, he would see me on the track. He'd be like, man, you're powerful. Then he'd see me in the gym. And he's like, wow, that's, it's there as well. That same quality. You know, power personified. I'm seeing it in your squats, your deadlifts, your Olympic lifts. And then I joined him at the mixed martial arts gym, which was, which was his stomping ground. And I'm throwing kicks and punches. And he's like, okay, it's still there. So uh, he just started calling me POW, just an abbreviation for powerful. And then, you know, I ended up taking on that uh, moniker as coach because I was always, I shouldn't say I was always educating people, but the community I was always hanging around with, they're like, man, there's something very insightful in what you just said. And, you know, we kind of consider you to be a coach. So then they're, put coach and pow together <laughs> and it was a wrap it's stuck ever since yeah i mean it makes sense and it's i like when people find their way into a role naturally rather than forcing it like you'll yeah. see people who try to be like a leader without having the experience um for yourself you have a lot of accolades you've got a lot of things that you've accomplished athletically um and so it's kind of like you have to pay to play. So having performed at the high levels, let's let's introduce you to my audience as if they know nothing about you. Like, how would you want yourself to be introduced if you had full control? Uh, to make it as simple as possible, I would just say that I exist. <laughs> <laughs> I exist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, uh, removing all these kind of labels and stuff like that. That's the best way. That would be the perfect world for me is to just get rid of every label and stuff like that. That I know it, it can create, um, it can it can help to build some type of commonality. Uh, when I say I've done this and someone else says, hey, I've done that too. And then, you know, we become friends, we start to connect. But I also find that um, there's a dark side to, to identifying yourself as something, um, <clears throat> excuse me, where people... Uh, or one, you don't understand the title that you're assuming, or two, someone else doesn't understand or dislikes the title that you use to identify yourself. Um, bit of a rabbit hole. <laughs> but let's say to be, uh, <laughs> I feel like you had something to say. So, like, uh, it's, it's cool because of the way you think that's kind of a big part of why I had you on the show. Like, uh, you presented at the uh, last year's Evolve, or maybe it was the year before's Evolve Fitness Symposium. Oh, yeah. I, I liked the presentation. I thought it was cool and just how 
it was unlike any other presentation I've been to in the sense that it like got me out of my echo chamber, got me thinking differently. Um, I kind of liked hearing your, your experience in just like your hamstring injury um, yeah. and just going up to a very competitive level of running and learning things the tough way, but then having your experience through like knowing what you know because of what you went through kind of thing. Um, and just to kind of give people a bit more backstory, like you've, uh, been a very high level competitive runner. I think if I'm correct, you were on the Olympic relay team for Beijing Olympics or. Yeah. That's taking into is, um, something that I wanted to share with you as well, which kind of ties into, uh, um, a question that I believe you're about that you may ask me today. <laughs> uh, and that's dealing with hardships and stuff like that. And how'd you deal with setbacks? So I was, I qualified for the uh, Olympic Games in 2008 in Beijing, and I went as a member of the men's 4 by 100 meter relay team. Uh, but I would say that unfortunately, uh, slash fortunately, I got sick and was unable to compete. So I sat, you know, I sat on the sidelines and watched my teammates do their job, or excuse me, do their job, have fun, <laughs> go out there and perform. So, uh, you know, some people will say, wow, like, how do you deal with that? It's, you know, you preparing for most of your life to, 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 uh, to step in a lane at the Olympics and then you get sick and you sit and watch. And I had a hard time dealing with that. Uh, for some time, I, I hit it quite well. But, uh, you know, I, it's, I'd say I had to teach myself to be ready and to be great, uh, I'd say to be ready and to be gracious uh, when dealing with adversity and anything that was offered to me, um, you know, because ultimately, like when you think about training, the only way to get better is to, to expose yourself to stress, you know? So I look at it like, okay, well, that's the same thing spiritually and in all those other planes is I need that kind of stress. I need those difficult times, those obstacles in order to get better. And for a while, I let it be one that weakened me until I realized that it was something that was there to strengthen. So um, once I realized how to utilize that kind of experience and that memory, um, it's been nothing but upwards and onwards, undulating, <laughs> upwards and onwards. Um, but yeah, so that's been, it's, you know, so yes, a member of the men's 4 by 100 meter relay team in Beijing, going backwards, 2007, a member of the men's, uh, 4x1 relay team in Pan Ams at the Pan American Games uh, that were contested in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, my Brazilian friends will get mad at me. Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> and then um, uh, prior to that, 2006, I was a bronze medalist with the mem with the 4x100 meter relay team. It's a tongue twister. Uh, at the Commonwealth Games that were contested in uh, Melbourne, Australia. So that was, that's my track career. Uh, you know, I have a men's championship with my team at the, uh, the uh, University of Sherbrooke, the uh, United States Sherbrooke in Quebec, where I went to school. And what else is there? Yeah, I medaled at nationals over 200 meters. Most people wouldn't think that uh, because I'm a bit of a, a big unit, a <laughs> short guy, but uh, over, over 200 pounds. Um, so yeah, 200 meters is my favorite event. But my coaches thought otherwise because of my size. They thought I'd be best suited for the 100 meters. They were wrong. 
Well, I mean, amidst all that stuff that you shared, I I really liked that you highlighted um, just the, the clarity in, in your Olympic experience. But there's so much value in having gone through that. I mean, yeah. we can frame it in so many different facets. Like the fact that like this this podcast is is up and coming. And if I only consider myself a podcast host, based on like all of my success, then I would miss out on all of the the validation for the work that I put in. Like very few people have the capacity to put in the work that it takes Mm -hmm. to get to the levels that you've been to. And that work capacity can translate to so many other things. And that is kind of like the energy that you bring to everything that you do. And it's cool because as people learn more about you, like there are a lot of sides to you like you are very passionate about fashion um you're very uh you're a deep thinker you're eloquent with your speaking um and so i like how you introduced yourself because that's going to help people really understand it and that's going to to help people um have more buy-in to understand like this is why we choose the things that you bring to the table like we'll talk about run fast later in the episode but like they would have that that understanding for like why you would uh, participate in Run Fast. And I have to give a quick shout out to Kenny Buller. I see he's watching us live. He's complimented your style. So uh, awesome to, to see him watching live. Yes, awesome. <laughs> Kenny. So, uh, I, oh, I, go I, ahead. I have a moment. This is a conversation. So Kenny and I go back to, I believe, two thousand and. Uh, late 2008 or perhaps early 2009 and takes us back to a place called Legends Training Center. And it, it, it hosted a lot of mixed martial artists. There was kickboxing classes, wrestling classes, jiu-jitsu classes on site. And uh, the location was actually just behind Grant McHugh. And I'm actually looking in that direction now from where I had down the south. And uh, I started going to that gym. Just I would walk there. I would walk past and he'll pop my head in and and, and watch some of the classes. And uh, I remember there was a, uh, I believe there was a kickboxing class going on. I ended up, you know, like doing a drop-in and Kenny was in the class and he did, I believe he was like perhaps an odd man out at the time. So I was his partner for certain drills. And I remember him being so much, like he was very proficient at the time and, I believe, and still is, but uh, I was one of those like just basement martial artists. <laughs> <laughs> and we had this drill, we were doing some hand fighting and he would, I had to grab his wrist and his goal was to basically break my grip. And he was breaking my grip so easily. I would grab his wrist, excuse me, he would grab mine and I'd have a hard time, you know, getting <laughs> off my wrist and, you know, seemingly being like a strong looking guy. I was like, what's going on? So anyways, he, uh, that experience encouraged me to get some Captain Crusher hand grips and train my grip strength. And I'll say, Kenny, you're probably one of the reasons why I could do a one-arm pull-up <laughs> and deadlift over 700. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> that is so awesome. I mean, like, the our challenges shape us. Like, there's so many, like, I can relate in so many different instances where somebody just absolutely humbled me and then yeah. it stuck with me and then it became one of my biggest strengths today. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. um, people have called me quiet, so I started a podcast and started talking to people and just show them who likes to talk kind of thing. I love it. Um, if, if we went into a time machine and took you to like grade eight, where would that take you in your life? Oh, man. 
uh, grade eight. That would take me to Etobicoke, Ontario. Uh, <laughs> that would take me to Our Lady of Peace High School. Um, what was going on then? I obviously was, you know, focused on getting out and getting into high school. <laughs> I was probably also thinking like I was going to be uh, moving out of the house or something and getting married. I don't know. I was. <laughs> I actually, I'm, I'm lying. That's that's not what was going through my mind. I was actually thinking about a football scholarship, though I hadn't even played organized football. I was a huge fan of like BCS bowl games and stuff like that, NCAA football, and I, um, I just always saw myself eventually getting into the sport and uh, getting a scholarship. It was that or the army <laughs> at the time. That's, those are my thoughts. Track and field wasn't really on my mind, even though it was something that. I was interested in, um, you know, elementary school track and field meets were more of a uh, social gathering than anything else, you know, and, uh, you know, I'd say like a, a good uh, dopamine experience, <laughs> you know, like it's just mad excitement wrapped around track and field. Uh, but I wasn't so interested in, in running in a straight line with seven other people. <laughs> and that was it. You know, I wanted something a little longer lasting. So what uh, was it that kind of drew you further down your journey towards running track? Like what were like maybe two moments that kind of made it more clear of the direction that you wanted to go? Uh, it would have to be, uh, I said it, there was a year where I set high expectations for myself uh, for anything that I was doing or about to do. And this is when I first was first put on to, I guess what we now know the famous vision boards. And it was a classmate of mine. I actually remember first name, Jessica. She was a track and field athlete. And I just remember how organized she was. And just like, you know, she was quiet, but I, I just watched her and everything she did was like very refined. And uh, I could say like we just, we were, unfamiliar friends so definitely acquaintances and one day i just asked her like you know a little bit about herself and she said that she was doing track and field and she was participating in track and field as an extracurricular activity she was paying a trainer outside and you know every once in a while i just pick her brain and get a little bit more information and at the time my sister was also doing track and field so i had these two individuals who both had very similar qualities both very uh, meticulous in the way they did things and, um that, you know, they particularly Jessica had introduced me to the vision board idea. And I was like, you know what, I want to use that for everything else. So I did that for you know, my classes, you know, courses or subjects that I wasn't too um, excited about. And I kind of set like a, I set a line and I said, you know, I want to do this well in this area, that well in this area, or I'm going to put this effort over here. And uh, I remember high school track season came around or tryouts came out and I wrote down that I was going to try out for track and field and I wanted to achieve this. And I actually got almost everything on that board done except for the track and field thing, <laughs> the goal that I set up for track. And it bothered me. And I remember thinking to myself, well, you know what? I'll get it next year. And that's what happened. And the following year, I you know, wrote down on the board what I wanted to accomplish, certain things, and definitely track and field made it on the board. And uh, I got closer to it. I didn't necessarily hit the mark, but I got closer to it. And then it was one of those things where I said, you know, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do even better. You know, I'll get even closer. If I shoot for, as they say, if you shoot for the moon, 
you know, you're bound to hit a star if you don't hit the moon. So I, uh, some part of my journey and my relationship with track and field had something to do with just taking on a challenge and, you know, um, I'd say aiming for the moon and hitting the stars, but knowing that the moon was attainable. So I didn't stop until I hit the moon, you know, um, but home was obviously a place that supported track and field, like my sister particularly, because she was a, a great sprinter in high school and she was like my biggest fan. So, and my sister and I have a really close relationship. So having her come to my track meets and everything and seeing the smile that I put on her face just to see me compete, it was like, that was super powerful, you know, and imprinting. Definitely. Well, I like that you brought up vision boards because it kind of makes me wonder, like, is that something that you've continued to apply throughout the years? Like in the last two years, have you found yourself using something like a vision board? Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, so I, I feel like I've moved around a lot. Usually I'm like on other people who move around a ton, uh, and not on them, but, uh, you know, I kind of wonder, like, you know, why does someone move around that much? You know, for example, someone moves from place to place like four or five times in a year, you're like, okay, what's going on? <laughs> but I look back and I'm like, man, you know what? I've, I think I've moved around quite a bit. And because of that, I've learned that I've had to pack lights. So, you know, I think I've become a little bit more of a minimalist. And I, instead of actually having a vision board, like a tangible vision board, I do it up here. So like the morning meditations and it's not like an obsession thing or an obsessive thing, but you know, I can have my eyes open or my eyes closed. It doesn't matter. And I feel like I, I, I feel like I can see <laughs> what it is that I, that I desire, you know, or what it is that I want to achieve. Yeah. Desire, excuse me. So the vision board is, is there. It's just an imagery board. Yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. It's honestly, it's something that I do myself. I mean, like there's, we can't do things that we set out to do if we can't see them in our head. Like yeah. whether we're writing them down, putting out the picture or just visualizing it like consistently to the extent that we make ourselves believe that we're going to do it. Um, yeah. In the last like three years, what is something that you almost didn't think that you could do, but you kind of like willed yourself to, to accomplish it? Uh, I mean, I guess I can compartmentalize with that thing. Maybe I'll start off with this, the the strength side of things, the physical. <laughs> so, uh, 2017 was a great year, but there was also, or not, but it was a great year. I got injured. <laughs> I didn't know the extent of the injury, and to this day, still, it has not been confirmed. Um, but that's okay because I've dealt with it, and it was something that I, I felt at the time in 2017 that it was going to be very hard for me to get back from and to regain confidence, movement confidence. Because usually after an injury, I would recover pretty quickly. Uh, for example, I tore my left hamstring several times, right hamstring once. But every time after the tear, be it even like a grade two tear in my hamstring, I would come back like quickly and run fast again. Obviously, some people will be like, well, that's the reason why you tore it three times. <laughs> they were evenly spaced by about a year or so. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I kind of got this, this nickname from some as like the machine. So I actually have like a bionic leg um, illustration tattooed on my left leg. <laughs> but uh, this injury was different. You know, after this injury, I, you know, I, I, I believe I had the right 
um, modalities in place, therapeutic input in place to help me recover. And my mind was strong. And then something changed. You know, uh, I started to believe in the injury. Uh, the psychology of pain was real, <laughs> you know, and it took me three years. It took me three years to, to get over it. Uh, there are so many positions that I would be very nervous to get into, but the viewer wouldn't be able to tell based on the content that I was posting on social media. Um, you could say, I guess I was editing my life. I wasn't showing you the pain I was in. Mind you, I wouldn't do an exercise that at the time would elicit, uh, you know, pain greater than, a, you know, even a two out of 10. Um, so like I was deadlifting, actually was it? Yeah, I was deadlifting heavy, bench pressing heavy, all that stuff. But if you ask me to perform like an ab wheel rollout or a dead bug with reciprocating legs or something, I would shake or I'd be in pain, you know, or I couldn't do it mentally. So finally I passed that point. Um, but I realized that I needed to apply myself the same way I did when I thought I was Wolverine when I thought I was that bionic man. Not ignore certain signs because I need to pay attention to all the planes, uh, but to empower myself um, and believe in my strength, you know, believe in my ability to accumulate information that I could sift through to potentially help me out, which is one of the reasons why we probably follow some of the same people <laughs> or some really good people <laughs> who pour out rich content, you know, um, from... Dobbs, Kyle Dobbs, Pat Davidson, to the St. Clair, Dr. St. Clair, both of them, Katie, and I can't remember her husband's name, but, um, you know, the list goes on and on. PRI, Apostle Restoration Institute, DNS, all that stuff. Um, so jumping on a lot of that information and also the kind of the spiritual growth side of things, you know, what helped me get to where I am right now with that injury. Um, other things I'd say recent would be kind of run fast class because I, I kind of painted myself into a corner. I started off in this industry as a, as a speed coach, as a sprint coach, teaching athletes how to sprint. I thought at the time, or I knew at the time, and this was 2010, that track and field had a lot of value that it could um, bring over, carry over to other sports, particularly in the side or in the realm of acceleration because acceleration pretty much crosses or intersects every sport for the most part. Um, dry land sport <laughs> and ice sport. Uh, so I brought, I, I wanted to bring that to the table and I did that. And, you know, I have journals of like workouts to the feedback that I was getting from the athletes and it was great. And then at some point it became a thing where people were like, you're my strength coach. You're my strength coach. You're my strength coach. And actually, I've noticed that I stopped teaching the sprints. And, you know, I became very weight room dominant. And it's not a bad thing because I learned so much um, in my time there. Or I'm still there. <laughs> uh, but move, I got to move back. I intentionally moved my focus back to sprinting, back to running. And I'm, I, I've never been happier <laughs> you know what I mean like it's just 
I feel like I'm robbing people when I go to work because <laughs> I love what I'm doing so much that I'm like, man, <laughs> I really want to do this for free. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's something that a lot of people would be able to relate to just like when you're kind of in your flow state of your career, you, you just want to exist there. You want to, you want to grow and flourish. And if you're content, you don't notice like the hard work, like, to yeah. build the program that you're building takes a lot of work behind the scenes and it takes being open to a lot of feedback. It takes yeah. a lot of refinement, but you don't really notice it the same way that you might notice something that you're not uh, fulfilled with. Um, yeah. You talked about how you had to recognize the signs with that injury that kind of like set you back. Like what, what are the signs today? Like if something like that was to happen again, what would be the first couple of things that you'd notice that would tell you to course correct? Um, thoughts. So the negative, the, the, those, I'd say, I was trying to find this metaphor, this uh, aphorism that resonated with me, but I'm, I seem like I'm forgetting it in this moment. Uh, but it had to do with like, you know, this analogy had to do with uh, not needing to water the weeds, like the weeds will just grow. And the weeds represented the negative thought, but then like, all the other things that you usually have to like uh, uh, groom in order to grow, that was your your so-called positive thinking or happiness. Um, and I find that there are times where those 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 red lines were when I stopped watering anything, so the the weeds were growing, and it was oh man I'm injured oh man I won't be able to do this I won't be able to do that I won't be able to do this you know. And I don't feel like good healing takes place at that time. And, you know, the snowball effect is real because I would let it go for a day or for a moment. It started with just a moment. Because prior to that, any injury I'd suffered, it was like I was already so excited about um, the return. Not enough that I would skip the things that were necessary to get me there. Um, but enough that it was just belief in self and the imagery of seeing me back moving and, and being in my element, all of a sudden, none of those things were taking place. It was like, all right, oh my gosh, if I don't get back on time, I won't be able to do this, that or that or that or that. And then it's like, it just it's just one moment and you don't deal with it. You don't deal with it. Uh, I wasn't dealing with it by adding three more moments of good thoughts or good imagery. And then it was like, all right, I added a little bit more, a little bit more. And then until it was like, that's all I was thinking about was, the fact that I'm injured and I'm out of play and I'm out of action and I can't lift or I can't do this, you know, and then all of a sudden it's, it's just, that is who you become, you know? And, you know, there were times where I was just like, it was like having this identity crisis, just <laughs> being like, I'm that guy who can't do what that guy's supposed to do. <laughs> you feel, you don't feel good. You don't feel good about yourself, but, uh, it's like you really got to take, um, you know, perception is going to drive your reality. And, you know, we hear that, too, with uh, sensory drives motor. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like that imagery, that's that's a sense. You know, and that imagery, when I even when I think imagery greater than visualization um, is I think of like image to me, imagery is I'm imagining it so, so well, so vividly that I can smell it taste it, touch it, um, 
So it wraps all the senses in instead of just like trying to see it with my eyes. You know, and I feel like we do that with fear, with fear-based emotions. You know, we can touch it, smell it, sense it, all that stuff, or feel it. You know, so it's like, I'm going to take, I'm going to build what I want um, uh, with using the same, the same things, the same elements, the taste, the touch, the smell, you know. Um, sorry, I kind of went off a bit. Of no, it today. was good. I was like, keep going, but like. Um, I'm going to highlight some things that really stood out to me so that people take a moment to let it soak in because, um, you can't deny the fact that you have to like feel what you're going towards with all of the senses and to give people a bit of perspective. I mean, when I, when I feel discouraged or when I face setback in my career or personal life, the only thing that helps me get back on track is basically watering the plants. So you kind of made an analogy like that. Um, and it's, for me, it's um, finding more people to connect with, um, finding ways to see the good in others. Seeing the good in others helps me see the talent in myself. And it doesn't yeah. need to be like ego driven, but it just needs to be practicing recognizing good qualities. Because if I can see yeah. good qualities in other people, then I start to see them in myself. And that's a big part of why I'm recording six podcast episodes in one week. Typically, it's only one a week, but I'm doing <laughs> six. Because <sighs> like, just like you, I am human. I need to like sharpen the, the pencil to which I find my direction and uh, improve. And I need practice in seeing my strengths, just like you were discussing in, in yeah. how you overcame difficulties and stuff. So... Uh, did you have any further thoughts after my little ramble there? No, no, I love it. I love it. I think that's, that's, uh, I, that's, I guess you could say that's how we select our, our friends. You know, we select our friends based on the, I mean, we identify certain qualities and hopefully they're, they're qualities that we would like to have within our own, um, selection of, of qualities, uh, you know, or, qualities that are like life driven or that drive life upward and not downward. Uh, but in doing so, it's like, sometimes you could say, it's, I, I, I guess you could say perhaps sometimes I like to play devil's advocate only for the reason of provoking thought. But there are some people who do it because they're able to identify good qualities, as you say, and then identify them within themselves. And then sometimes there are others who will identify good qualities in others uh, but will compare themselves to those individuals as a, a, a in, in a manner that creates a deficit in their mind that they're not good enough. They're not like that individual. Um, so sometimes I mean, and I say that because I'm sure there are some times in my life where I've done that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, like I think we we all fall into that trap at some point. I think especially within the fitness industry, um, yeah. people are very. Uh, quick to see strength in others and then quickly create that deficit. Like you say, I, I like that way of putting it, just creating that gap. The gap yeah. need not exist. Like just surround yourself with those people and see how you grow. Don't see yeah. how you stumble, see how you grow kind of thing. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's, and that's the beautiful part about, I mean, surrounding yourself with, uh, I'm not going to say like-minded individuals, but I'll say strong-minded individuals or even, Individuals, I mean, because everyone's going to have strengths in some areas and, and weaknesses in others, but it's like 
those strengths can carry, um, you know, those strengths can move mountains, not just within the network that you create, but even within yourself because of the inspiration. And there's something that a good friend of mine says, and that's, she said, I believe your purpose is to inspire and be inspired. And I she was like, and frankly, I think that's everyone's purpose to a certain degree. And I was like, that's super rich. It's very, it's such a cool and cheap delivery that everybody can understand, you know, inspire and be inspired. So you're selecting this group of individuals who you find are flourishing in ways that you would like to flourish or, you know, let's say for lack of a better term, but you are also playing that role for somebody else, you know, and not only that, you being in that room, that proverbial room with these individuals who you selected as friends, they're going to uplift you. So not only are you going to be better for them too, but you're going to be better for all of those, you know, um, who are waiting to meet you, you know, or who are uh, accepting what you divulge, you know, as your experiences. Such an eloquent way to put it. And there's something else that I really noticed this past year, especially as of late, like this last uh, gym closure was your ability to take the right approach to a fitness lifestyle. It was refreshing. I mean, it, it kind of shadowed my efforts within my living room because like you were doing pull-ups on like light posts. I was like, this is freaking awesome. So like what inspired you to, to go to those lengths? Like there, there was, it wasn't just a casual thing. Like you actually uh, went out of your way to find fitness within the city of Edmonton. What, what kind of like got that light bulb going and what fueled that fire? I didn't have the equipment you had. That's why (laughs) 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 I, you know what? I've always been a fan of like working out outside. Um, You know, unfortunately at the time the weather wasn't, I mean, for the most part, the weather here, we got whatever, seven months of winter. I think it's getting better though, but seven months of winter where we're inside. So the moment that I saw clear skies and a bit of a sunny break, I was just, I'm looking at anything that I can hang off of that won't be too slippery. <laughs> so uh, I'll say just my creative mind, every day I walk outside, I'm literally staring at every post thinking, can I do a flagpole off of that? Can I do a pull-up, a one-arm pull-up? Can I, you know, can I do assisted pistol squats using this thing here? So my brain was always moving that way. And I think that was the blessing in COVID was uh, – I think for, and it, it, this crosses all barriers is, um, and all platforms, it really forces, forced people to be more creative and resourceful. So being in the fitness industry and having a lifestyle that's surround, that's, that's basically um, movement is like the operative objective word. My brain is like, get, get moving. You know, you see something, turn it into an activity. So that's that was the inspiration there on top of just even seeing other people on social media um you know i remember was it uh an italian um calisthenics like world champion i can't remember his name showtime gp and he was doing pull-ups uh and stuff like out in public he was in dubai and just like hanging off things i'm like that's how i'm gonna get my workout (laughs) so i've been doing that's what i was doing Sneaking onto the LRT, not sneaking, paying to get onto the LRT. Uh, 
guerrilla filming because you're not supposed to film unless you have like a permit <laughs> so i'm telling on myself right now <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean like half the videos on instagram are guerrilla filming essentially like when when yeah. it comes down to it yeah um, <laughs> it's cool that you were able to sort of embrace that because it kind of reiterates the the point that we were kind of making about like the setbacks in your track career and how yeah. it forced you to find ways to reframe things. And it forced you to kind of like push through the uncomfortable feeling of things not going as you expected them to go. And then yeah. push once more to find like the plants that you could water. Like you got this row mm -hmm. of plants and you can water it. It's nice that you have plants in the backdrop because it helps me with my analogies. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's just like that, that whole attitude, um, is a game changer. Like it's the, the compound effect of having that attitude, maybe 80% of the time, cause nobody's perfect. We're all going to have that period of time where there's nothing that we could do, nothing anybody could say, but being able to really lean in, lean into that is going to help people both in the fitness industry, in business, in everything. So yeah. it's nice that you've been able to set examples for, for people to follow in that way. Um, I've been watching you put together the run fast program. I've watched some of my friends take it. Um, Eric Turner, I think took the run fast. So what, what has that been like for you? Like, um, in, in putting that forth and seeing different athletes try it out, uh, give me kind of like the, the introduction to it all and, and what it's all about and what it can be for a person. Okay, the elevator pitch. <laughs> Where are my cue cards? <laughs> uh, so yeah, run fast class is basically uh, me getting back to my roots. Uh, track and field taught me a lot, and I found that even within sprinting, there were some serious, like some really interesting universal principles um, that one helped me organize my life or shape my life. Uh, even though there's some, still some some things in disarray as is for everyone, you know, we're all moving through life, figuring things out. Um, but it was just basically thinking about refinement. And that's what this program was about. It was about refining a, uh, refining a certain skill set, And then the delivery was all about sharing it in a very logical fashion where it's just progressing from one phase to the next. And that's kind of how I see life. And I mean, we can say, you know, the educational system or assembly line system, some people talk about is similar. It's okay, we're preparing you for certain things, we're preparing you uh, in certain areas, certain subjects, but we're gonna deliver the information to you in phases through grade one all the way to, you know, uh, uh, yeah, all the way to university or and beyond. So, Run Fast class, or which is now actually called Run Fast University. <laughs> so Run Fast University um, was took a very similar approach. So teaching people how to run, teaching people how to run fast in particular. So breaking it down into components and then drip phasing that through a variety of volumes or various volumes. So teaching acceleration. So basically how to get started, teaching people fast upright running which would be more common for from athletes all the way to the general public. You know, backtrack acceleration is something that is considered one of the most highly coveted golden tickets in dry land sport. Uh, so uh, acceleration, upright running, um, and then all the components. So the physiological and the technical elements 
and kind of taking each one of those and then eventually blending them to combining these two things to create one unified system, which is a faster human being. <laughs> so who doesn't want to run faster? Uh, I'm sure there's some people who will put their hand up, but then the next question would be, you know, who wants to, who wants to learn how to move better? Who wants to improve coordination? Who wants to lose weight? You know, because we know that sprinting is great for improving body composition. So um, there are many reasons why someone would want to take run fast class. Definitely. And I mean, some of the things that uh, stand out to me, just like in the sense that we want to create buy-in for people to have an active lifestyle. There's so yeah. many things that come up that create barriers, like unnecessary barriers, like people might be nervous about a gym atmosphere or maybe yeah. someone that they met intimidated them. But when we create like a reason to do all the other things. So like for, for sprinting to actually properly sprint, you have to have a lot of prerequisites and it's not like prerequisites are impossible, but they're like stepping stones. Like you yeah. have to be able to um, have the coordination that leads up to that fast running. And yeah. by having that end goal, the thing that caps it all off, it gives people the buy-in that they may have never had. Like yeah. you and I have our reason that we train, like, there, there's all kinds of layers to that, but most general population people don't have that. I mean, the other day, yeah. I'll, I'll give you kind of like a side story. Um, I was talking to uh, a few friends and I was, I got a little carried away and I, I emphasized the importance of glute training. I was like, glute training is like imperative to your quality of life. And like the things that yeah. I was reflecting on was just like, how a person carries their posture, how they'll end up breathing, their stress levels, yeah. their ability to go upstairs, their reduction of like injury. Like the fact that like if you are working on training your glutes and hamstrings more than what you would have done if you didn't yeah. do anything, like yeah. you're going to live a more abundant life. And they, yeah. I was a little too passionate. So they just kind of, <laughs> <laughs> they were like, dude, you're passionate about big butts. And I'm like, look like <laughs> yeah it, it it changes things and so like run fast from my point of view isn't just about like an athlete it is open to anyone that has a body like oh, and my go ahead from like i had eric turner uh who plays professional lacrosse and in the same group i had uh a 50 oh i hope i don't get her age correct 56 year old um, woman uh, who's she is a competitive, very competitive masters level boxer and golfer. And she's one of my uh, clients who are trained in tandem sessions, uh, who's had a, ho a host of, of issues around the hip. And for the last like two and a half, three years, we've really been working on that. And now she's graduated to being able to, to sprint. So yeah, I've been teaching her, you know, the, the, the drills have been kind of, uh, I guess, a drip feeding for a lot of the content that will help her or build up prerequisite strengths to be able to do it. So eventually she was there and graduated into the class. <laughs> so she was a part of Run Fast. So we, you know, we have two ends of this. We have, you know, uh, I can't necessarily say opposite ends of the spectrum, um, but there's just like quite a big, quite a big lineup. Um, or diversity within the run fast class group. Like first run fast, we had a young lady who was a Maxim model and her background is in distance running. 
And I think it was more of a recreational thing than anything. Uh, I had like a professional wrestler in the group. And yeah, it's just been fun. Chiropractor, physiotherapist, uh, triathletes, to speed-based sport athletes. So, you know, ultimately everybody walks away with an understanding of how to run faster, how to run. I didn't work because we focus on establishing running posture, arm action, leg action, and then we get into the intricacies like being able to project, so generate force in the right direction, um, being reactive, so being springy, so there is more of a tissue quality and nervous system quality that we're going for, uh, coordination, and lastly, the biggest part of coordinating the system is your ability to switch your arms and legs at higher and higher uh, velocities, because that's kind of one of the toughest things for people to do, or most limiting things is to be able to switch at high speeds. <laughs> well, I mean, it's true. Like I, I work with a young client and we were just kind of going over the movement mechanics of running and yeah. we took our time. And then I just kind of expressed the benefits in which that like, if he took the time and was very patient with this one simple skill, the value he would get when he's playing sports and stuff would be well worth it. Like if it took him like yeah. two months to figure out the arms, um, yeah. he'd see the benefits when he played soccer with his friends. And like that, yeah. I think about my experience as a young athlete, I was always the underdog on the team. And if I put more effort in the mechanics, it would be so much more fun to play the sport because I'd be able yeah. to contribute more to the team. And so it's like how we frame things helps people um stick with it and helps them see the value in like the investments and in what we put out like obviously we're gonna have a bias because like this is our world we like fitness that's what we do but there is so much benefit to it in such a holistic way that hopefully people take advantage of in the years to come like having been like uh we really took for for granted our ability to just go into gyms and then now yeah. that gyms are open yeah. again, like there, there is so much to be had, um, so much growth to, to chase after kind of thing. Um, yeah. I've always been curious about your passion for fashion. I like how that rhymed, but like, <laughs> tell me about what started that and how it, uh, kind of helps you in visioning yourself in, in a good situation or, or speaking positively upon yourself. Uh, I don't know if it's a Libra thing <laughs> as of late. I've been hearing more and more about uh, uh, cosmology, cosmogony. I just learned that word the other day and <laughs> astrology um, and all the other ologies. And people are like, you show strong traits of a Libra, you know, without knowing my birth month. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm a Libra. And they're like, yeah, I could tell. And then I believe one of the things is that Libras are driven by like the visual side of things. So like to see nice things, whatever nice means. Uh, and I think that that actually helps me as a, as a coach, because I like to, I like to, I'm observing shapes, you know, I'm looking for certain things. Um, I guess you could say having like that, that eye of the architect when working with your trainees, your clients, seeing movement. Uh, but the same thing is taking place for me in fashion, where that first started. My sister, she was very fashion. Um, she was very inclined in that area in, in high school, like elementary school, high school. She was really up on it. And she used to um, 
constructively make fun of my outfits because I just put on whatever random thing I wanted to that was in my closet. And uh, I have some pictures and it looked pretty interesting. <laughs> so at 15, I ended up getting a job at this shop. It was like a this inner city, like footwear and apparel store that was like the coolest on the block. I was 15. The, the, the next youngest guy working there was like 22 or 23 years old. So I was the youngest by far. We had guys that were working, working there who were about 35 years old, the oldest. So I think that's where the, the fashion thing kind of planted a seed in my mind. You know, I was looking at the latest in fashion at the time, you know, pretty much on a daily. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to just it being a part of even the track and field culture. You know, you went out there and you know, you wanted the, obviously you had to be fat. You're hoping that you were very fast. Uh, in order to wear like the flashy spikes, they'd say that you better run fast if you're wearing those neon green spikes and stuff. But you're trying to coordinate that with your outfit because it was look good, feel good, race good. <laughs> um, so it was one of those things where it was just always there, paying attention to the colors, to color palettes and what went with what and textures. And then uh, first year university in Illinois, I see this guy in the dorms who's wearing this really cool t-shirt that doesn't look like any t-shirt I've seen before. So I asked him where he purchased it. And he said, I made it. So what do you mean you made it? He said, I painted on this shirt. It was a white t-shirt. I painted on it. And I was like, wow, can you tell me more? Like, what did you buy? At this point, he's like, nope. He shut the lines of communication off. It's one of those, like, I made it. I don't want you trying to do what I do. So it took me a couple months to, <laughs> to find myself at an art store. And instead of a t-shirt, I had a pair of jeans and I just painted on the jeans. A couple of weeks later, I painted, uh, like I painted a comic character, uh, a superhero on a t-shirt. And then it just kind of continued on and on. Uh, that was like 2003, 2004. So I'm dating myself here. If those who do your math properly, you know how old I am. <laughs> so I said first university, you can kind of guess. Uh, so, that that was uh, yeah 2003 2004 uh, through to 2005 I was painting a lot like customizing customizing clothing for friends uh, dance groups and I stopped I got back on in about 2016 so it took quite a break you know one day I scuffed a pair of shoes that I really liked you know I was playing soccer with a, a group of kids who I coached and. You know, I stubbed my toe on the ground and just ripped the leather on the shoe. So I brought the shoe home and I'm like, instead of throwing it out, which is silly or uh, better to donate it, I'm going to paint on it. I'm going to turn it into a project. So I actually didn't realize what I was doing was revitalizing my love for customizing clothing or upcycling clothing and footwear. So I painted the shoe. I felt they looked great. I wore them out. I got compliments. Perhaps a month later, I made a pair of jeans for a friend who was a client at the time who's big into fashion, he reposted it. And then people were like, where can I find more? And that, that was like, I'd say 2017 or so. And three fashion shows later, like in 2000, basically 2019, 20, end of 2018 through to late 2019, I participated in three fashion shows here in Edmonton, uh, West Edmonton Mall, Art Gallery of Alberta and the Edmonton Tower, which is like just downstairs. <laughs> and uh, I'm having, great time with it. I love, I love customizing, customizing clothing and footwear. Um, not just because I like to see nice things, but it's, there's something very therapeutic about it. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, it's important to to kind of have that because we talked about how you had to sort of like build yourself back up after like the the setback with getting sick during yeah. the Olympics. And yeah. when we're able to build ourselves up through any aspect, like it's just like yeah. if somebody's having a a hard time with their training, but then they learn how to cook nutritious foods. And that's another tangent we'd go on on another day because I know yeah. that uh, you're passionate about nutrition in, in ways as well. Because I watched your your Instagram live with uh, Greenhouse Eats. Is that oh, yeah. the handle? Yeah. That was really good. I really liked that. Um, but it's just like when we're able to find our confidence within like our exterior, just with, with our clothes, yeah. it's going to help with our head. Like it's going to help yeah. us to visualize success. Um, it's going to help us to actually land on the moon instead of just uh, settling for the stars. So it's it's yeah. cool that you do that, and hopefully uh, people uh, discover more about you in that way. There's a couple questions that I ask each of my guests. The first one yeah. is, if you could give a piece of advice to someone on how to live their life to the fullest, what would that piece of advice be? Don't live in the fear of other people's judgment. That's dope. Because that, that could be the, the S-H-I-T-T-I-E-S-T prison, you know, that is not even like a physical prison. But it can feel like that because the mind will influence the endocrine system and feed you all types of interesting chemicals and downregulate certain parts of the brain and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> if you read a lot of Dr. Roberts, Paul Steve. <laughs> then and I don't say blah blah blahs and he's got bad stuff. He's got great content talking about what stress can do um, to the immune system, digestive system, and all that. So uh, you know, I find that in this day and age, a lot of us are worried, and myself included, spent time worrying too much about what other people think. So and it's when true. You, it's such a the shackles come off, and you're living. You know, that's I think a large part of where freedom can come from. A lot of the, the bad things with social media is it makes it easier to think too much about what other people think. And most often yeah. we just misinterpret it. We think that everybody's against us or we're, um, we're behind, but it's just, yeah. that's the way social media works. So hopefully people understand to set boundaries around that, to help them yeah. to stay at their strongest. The next part of this is you're going to give my audience a challenge for the day, something that you think will help them through the day. Uh, something that's unique to you. So when you're ready, just be like, your challenge for the day is, and just let them have it. <laughs> oh my goodness, my challenge for the day. Part of me wants to make something physical, but I've worn the side of like this here. My challenge for the day is this, to break down, this is gonna, this is kind of um, connected. I believe in the principle of correspondence. So I want to connect, everything's connected. Can connect this to what we just talked about. And that is, I would like to challenge everybody to out in a public arena, public space, to just yell at the top of their lungs. But don't just yell. Ah, I want you to yell um, one of your centrums or a mantra, a very short one, <laughs> um, just to start. But to just yell out like "I am powerful" or "I am confident," you know, or "I," uh, you know, or uh, "I am I am grateful," you know, or "I am ready for adversity." You know, yell out some type of mantra at the top of your lungs, be it in the, in the office at work, 
You know, and I know the first thing that crosses will cross most people's mind is I don't want to do that because I don't want other people thinking I'm crazy. It's like, what do you have to lose? <laughs> what do you have to lose? You've just gone through like one of the craziest times in history, which is, you know, COVID-19 and a worldwide like lockdown. So you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. It's so true. It comfortable in your mind, you know. <laughs> so if so people want to find more about you what are where are you most present like aside from instagram like your instagram handle will be on everything coach pow but where else can they find you uh there <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty straightforward usually i just assume but i wanted to make sure that i didn't miss anything no you didn't miss anything uh i'm trying to be more present on or excuse me i'm obviously present here and here uh what places where you can find me or a little bit more about me or a little less about me if I've talked too much about myself already it would be on Instagram coachpow underscore for fashion it's boats underscore on underscore clothes uh, boats and clothes I had that handle before and changed it went back to it and someone had already taken it doesn't so, take long people I, are quick on that stuff <laughs> but with so, all of that being said um sorry i interrupted you go ahead no it's okay uh oh <laughs> for anybody listening we just kind of went through like a back and forth point to get each other that was awesome first time that's really <laughs> happened but with that said i'm gonna wrap it up for the day um we've got a lot of people that we mentioned in this episode that have been on the show a lot of people that coach pow and i both follow so make sure to go back in the episodes go back as far as episode 100 here we are episode 182 just trucking along lots of edmontonians on the show um lots of people from the states but with that being said, thank you much. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was so great to have you on. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on the show. I love it. Love this platform. Love what you're doing. Uh, not just because of the content, but also the reason why you're doing it. So that's very inspiring. Thank you very much for adding to my bucket because it's supposed to be inspire and be inspired. Awesome. You helped with that. Thank you. <laughs>